This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning with the programme for and about business. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours and thanks to him too for holding the fort for Team Bottom Line last Saturday when we took a break for the long, long weekend. Best of luck to Brian tomorrow night as he comes to the end of the current series of Dancing with the Stars where, of course, he's the judge who all the celebrities want to impress. It's been a great series, which apparently have seen it become the most watched show on Irish TV every week, or most weeks at least. Well, we're back with business, and I hope we find you well on this bright, crisp spring morning. This morning on The Bottom Line, in the face of spiralling numbers of fraud attempts every day on mobile computer or directly through increasingly sophisticated phone scams, we talk to an expert on security on what you need to do to prevent you and your business from falling victim to unscrupulous fraudsters. For two years, we've had a pandemic and now we're in what the Taoiseach has characterised as a war economy. How do you keep your mojo? Look after your health and stay productive. We'll be talking to wellbeing and performance coach Michael Dimitrio. And we'll be talking to publican Jerry Rafter, who, as he celebrates over a quarter of a century in business in Friary Street in Kilkenny, scooped the best small business award in the recent Kilkenny Business Awards organised by Kilkenny Chambers. But first, to look over some of the stories that have been catching your eye over the last while is Laura Slattery, media correspondent of the Irish Times. Laura, good morning. Morning, John. How are you? Will you be watching Dancing with the Stars or have you watched it? I have watched it, yeah. I think it's been a really good um, source of joy and fun, I think, at this time. You know, everyone's looking for a little bit of relief from the news. Yeah, it's it's necessary, isn't it? And, it? and it just shows you the popularity of it. I was talking to Brian and he said, I think the biggest... Um, ratings they ever got were on the night that uh, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar two years ago announced the lockdown at 6 o'clock on a Sunday and Dancing with the Stars was on at 6.30 we need escapism That's right, I mean that was a very difficult situation if I recall because people were already getting a little bit nervous about uh, getting the virus and of course dancing involved up close contact with other people Yeah, so they were kind of put on the on the um, what would you say, on the back burner for a while. But moving on, we are in in serious times, as you've said, uh, the war in Ukraine and communication playing a big part in that, as well as all of the horrific uh, bombing, shooting and all that sort of stuff. Information is a large part in it and very sophisticated propaganda um, output on both sides of the conflict. That's right, and that's a very serious situation. We've reached the point now that, um, you know, people are creating these deep fakes. Um, we had one there recently of Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian leader, and Facebook did, in fairness, take it down very quickly, but it just goes to show what can be done. Yeah. Um, speaking of Facebook, um, they've been hitting the headlines again. In fact, they're rarely out of the headlines, but they're used as um, as an advertising medium by many businesses but uh, they're caught in the middle of a the advertisers that is they're caught in the middle of a bit of a battle that's going on between apple and meta tell us about that meta of course the parent company for facebook 
Yeah, so this all springs back to last April when Apple um, released a new update to its operating system, which is actually a very admirable update because it gives people a lot more privacy or at least the option of more privacy. So you have seen these messages if you're an iPhone user, if they say, do you want to let the app track you or ask app not to track? And there's a company in Dublin called Wolfgang Digital did the research on this. And about two thirds of iPhone users are saying, don't track me. Wow. So that has consequences for advertisers that are trying to target Facebook users and people, maybe people with particular interests that they think um, they can target them with advertising and then attract them to their site and as a result, convert them into customers. So it's now hard to do that. There's a smaller group of people you can reach and it costs more money to reach them um, because, you know, Facebook can actually charge more because the inventory is uh, smaller. So Facebook has been affected by this as well. Um, it actually lost 230 billion on the stock market there in February as a result of this. This was one of the reasons, certainly. Um, but advertisers, Irish advertisers, are also being affected. Yeah, and d- did I hear you correctly there? Did you say 230 billion? Yeah, it was, it was I think, the largest one-day uh, plunge in, 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 in a share price. Now, Facebook can kind of probably sustain that because it's had huge growth over the last few years. But it is a watch-this-space one mm. for them as well. Because they've built their business really on pretty much unfettered access to people's information, uh, which wouldn't be available to conventional uh, media platforms such as, you know, a newspaper, newspaper website, you know, a radio station, for example. Yeah, that's right. And on the whole, I think it is a good thing what Apple is doing and there's pressure as well on the likes of Google um, to restrict uh, third-party cookies and things that track people across their device use and their internet use. So um, advertisers have had access to that information, uh, you know, from the big tech companies, but now they're going to have to maybe concentrate a little bit more on requesting permission from their own customers um, to keep their data. Mm. Now, um, of course, all of this raises huge, uh, you know, information and the rise of social media has created huge questions for society and the business of media, which both you and I uh, work in. And all that has been examined in great detail and over a number of months by the Future of Media Commission, which was meant to report last July, July 2021. No sign of it. And uh, tempers beginning to fray a bit in, in some quarters. Yeah. That's right. Um, the Eruptus Media Committee this week, um, a three of the members um, expressed their <laughs> disappointment, shall we say, that they haven't themselves haven't seen this report that the Cabinet has all read. Um, so the uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Cassells called it a disgrace. Mm. Uh, the Fianna Gael Senator Micheál Carrigy said it was quite ironic that they hadn't seen it when they're trying to discuss the future of the media and they, they don't know what the recommendations are. And uh, the Fianna Fáil TD, Neve Smith, said, you know, they're working in a vacuum, not just the committee, but also the regulator, which is the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And there's no sign of it yet. Now, Leo Varadkar did say in the door that they would try to get it done in the next couple of weeks. That's the publication. Mm. But he couldn't really, you know, commit to that timeline. 
Yeah. Um, but back in the real world, um, I suppose not to be too too <laughs> cynical about it, the cost of living is becoming a huge issue for people. This isn't the first week that it's popped up, but it is really huge. It's putting businesses uh, under pressure. Uh, just a difficult situation. I mentioned wartime economy at the start. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where we're really seeing this is on energy prices. People are getting their energy bills and they're getting a little bit of a shock. And we've, that's, you know, before the impact of the most recent round of price increases comes into effect. This week we had energy and prepaid power put up their prices. And last week, Board Gosh Energy did the same by quite a lot. In its case, it was electricity up 27% and gas up 39% from April. So it's getting to the point where this is going to be very, very difficult for a lot of people. Mm. Um, companies everywhere having to cut their cloth to suit their measure and, and costs being a, a big part of it. But one company with a modest enough Irish presence, but which is significant for the Irish economy, is P&O Ferries. Uh, they've kind of taken the Vladimir Putin kind of atten- uh, approach to uh, industrial relations without trying to be funny about it. Yeah, I mean, what they've done is just incredible you know in a bad way last week they abruptly sacked 800 seafarers basically all of its uk based staff including some people from the republic and and northern ireland as well so they abruptly just lost their jobs and they were told about it by a pre-recorded video call from the hr director and this week the uh, chief executive of the company um he, first of all, he apologised, but he completely undid that apology pretty quickly by admitting that they did break UK employment law by not having consultation with staff before letting them go. And the whole idea, of course, is, was, was to replace them with cheaper agency workers. But there's signs that that's already backfired on them because yesterday one of their vessels, the European Causeway, it was uh, held back in Larne. And the reason was the failures on crew familiarisation and crew training. Yeah. Now, uh, companies, yeah, like companies like uh, P and O, big companies, they'd have uh, press departments, marketing departments, PR agencies. They'd normally be um, kind of bombarding the likes of you and I and and the media with kind of good news stories about new routes and fare cuts and all that sort of stuff. Th- these people must be holding their heads in their hands at the moment because their brand is getting trashed. Yeah, I mean, I, w- w- it, it, you have to ask yourself, would you travel with P&O ferries right now? Uh, <laughs> like, no matter what their advertising is, what, no matter what the price is, I'd be a little bit hesitant, I have to say. Not just for ethical reasons, but because you'd be slightly worried about the safety aspect. Yeah, because all that stuff has been ventilated in public now, whether the crews that they've got uh, know how to operate the ship safely and all that sort of stuff. It's really a disaster, isn't it? Yeah, I wonder now how they will recover from that. I mean, ironically, um, you know, some of the competitors have done this in the past. And it just goes to show perhaps just how badly handled this was because it just hit the headlines in a way that perhaps past ones happens to the same extent. Mm. Well, look, a salutary lesson uh, and uh, one that we should all uh, keep in mind. Um, basically, you have to try and treat, treat people with respect, regardless of how difficult the business situation is. 
that's right. Yes, I mean, I think uh, also there's perhaps an onus on government to have proper labour laws in place. Yeah, and of course it, it raises the whole issue of Brexit and whether Brexit made a difference and all that, but that's for another day. Laura, thanks very much for joining us uh, this morning on The Bottom Line. That's Laura Slattery, business uh, and media correspondent with The Irish Times. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, John. Uh, thank you to Laura. We'll be back and we'll be talking about keeping your mojo after these. It's always a good time. It's always a good time and the time is almost 21 minutes past nine. You're listening to John Purcell on The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. We're with you until uh, 10 o'clock this morning when Edward Hayden returns uh, to your airwaves. And I know many of you will be looking at getting your queries in for Edward and Shirley on the gardening and lots more besides when Edward joins you between 10 and 12 o'clock. Now, uh, our station message there said it's always a good time but often it isn't a good time there are many challenges on the horizon and there are many things in our lives which can cause us to feel overwhelmed and especially in recent times but uh, do we know how to manage this because it is important to try and manage it so that it doesn't become a bigger problem or prevent us from uh, being losing productivity difficulty at work keeping our businesses moving and so on well earlier on in the week i spoke with michael dimitrio who's a well-being and performance coach and he's based locally at the thrive hub in tullow county carlow and i started by asking michael to tell me a bit about himself and how he came to be a performance and well-being coach thanks john thanks for having me on the show i'm delighted to to be here um and it's it's much needed to actually talk about um, this subject matter so it's great that you guys are actually normalizing this and giving it an opportunity to discuss it so how did i get here i, I probably spent about 15 years in the corporate environment um i've been part of teams and i've been leading teams um i've worked in a, a high pressurized environment um so understanding your mindset um has been key um but i've always had a burning desire to to do my own thing um, and a couple of years ago, uh, a few major kind of life changes, got married, um, moved from Amsterdam down to the tropics of Tullow, um, became a father, and then my wife and her sister set up uh, a cafe and the tea business, and that kind of inspired me to do something myself. Um, and at that same point, I was kind of getting burnt out in work. Um, I was traveling an awful, awful lot. And I wasn't spending time um, with my family. I wasn't being present when I was at home. I was always thinking about what I had to do at work or worrying about a meeting that just had happened. So um, I had a conversation with uh, a few people, a normal conversation at lunch, and, and one of my colleagues was talking about retiring and looking forward to their to their pension, which was about 18 years away. Um, so that kind of sparked the change. Is that Michael, you need to do something here. Mm. Um, and I always had a passion for coaching people through through my experiences and understood that a lot of people in in work were kind of struggling. Some people were being burnt off, some people were being absent. Um, and that kind of drove me in a need to change. So after a bit of soul searching, um, going out into the woods after a long, long shower, and a bit of reflection, I put a plan and uh, a bit of action into place, took a career break as a, as a safety net, and then um, I find myself here after the last few years, 
psychology and um, becoming a coach and working with individuals and working with, with, with teams. Um, and when you kind of introduced at the start around well-being, um, being at the forefront at the moment, it absolutely is. If you, if you think about what's happening in the world, we've just gone through a pandemic. Um, there's now a war in, in the Ukraine. So it's, it's actually normal for us not to be as productive as we're used to being. Yeah, now, well-being and uh, performance, they're both very positive concepts, but their their opposites are very present in our worlds. You know, people feeling overwhelmed, tired, not giving it their 100%. Is that a fair categorization? I know um, I've come across people who are finding, you know, coming out of a pandemic, facing into a war economy, as Michal Martin has described it, pretty tough going. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I come from a place where well-being and, and performance kind of share a symbiotic relationship. So if you're not at your best, how can you be productive at work and in life? Um, if, you're, if you're listening to the, to the news at the moment, um, your, your mind is, is thinking about all the negative events and, and disgraceful events that are, that are happening. So it's probably normal to not feel good at times and we, we tend to have a negative um, bias in place. And there was actually research by the National Science Foundation indicated that 80% of our thoughts are negative. And if you think about on a normal day, 60, 000, we have about 60,000 thoughts per day. A lot of them actually are reoccurring. And then if you think back to the environment we're talking about, um, there's, a, there's a tendency to feel negative, and that can impact how we're feeling. Um, so we really need to fight for that balance to engage in more positive emotions. And important um, that people recognise um, that this is a valid area of attention in the workplace, you know, people's state of mind, their well-being, um, because it does affect their performance. Absolutely, and it's, and it's very individual. So we're all unique. Um, it's different for, for everyone. And what works for you, John, will, will be different for me, will be different for someone else. So it's important for employers to be able to have open relationships with, with, their, with their people, to be transparent, to, to check in, because the one thing in, in terms of, of, of well-being um, and, and our mindset is it's hidden. It's, it's not visible. Mm. So we don't know what people are thinking. We don't know what people are feeling. So we need to, to be compassionate in, in, in that space. Moving beyond the kind of high-level discussion of the, you know, the importance of well-being and its impact on performance and the importance of performance and all that sort of stuff, can we start talking kind of tools and techniques? What, what are you saying to people that you work with that they need to be doing to develop their well-being and performance? Absolutely. So, so for me, it, it always starts with understanding. So if we're going to get one thing out of this um, call is, is your self-awareness is absolutely key and being honest with yourself. So if you can't be honest with yourself, if you can't be honest with other people. So if, if, if I always find an easy tool is a type of scaling tool. So understanding where you are now and where you want to get to in terms of the shift you want to make in, in your performance and your well-being. So if, if you think about a line between zero and 100, 100 being your best possible self, or your best performance or being as productive as you can be and, and zero being awful, um, rate yourself on that scale and it's very subjective. So if I said, 
uh, if, the, if I was coaching someone and they said I'm, I feel about a 50 okay what makes it 50 and not zero so that person could be looking at right I might have a good routine in place um, I might be confident enough about what I'm doing so you're building up um, a bit of resilience and understandings of where you are or how do you want to improve how do you want to move forward from there so what would make your 50 into a 60 what are you going to do next what is the action you're going to take because it's always the action that will drive you forward and then momentum will follow so what's the small step sometimes it's not these big dramatic evolutions that a person's going to take it's what's the one thing you're going to do today or what's the one thing you're going to do this way this week that will make a difference for you that will add value in in your life so presumably when people are engaged in that process they should give themselves a kind of a realistic time frame so if you're feeling pretty much on the floor your mojo is gone to use that you're not feeling fit you're feeling tired and all that kind of stuff can you give us any idea of what what's a realistic kind of time frame for change it, again it, it can it can vary it can vary based on the the individual um for some so for some people it can be a small thing can make a huge difference and that transition can take a couple of months for others it might be a process that can take six to twelve um but it's it's always the ability to say i need to work on myself i need to develop because things will happen in our life and situations will we'll move forward and we'll need to adapt and, and we might need to tweak something so i would normally work with a framework with individuals and if you think about a uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I have a, um, at the bottom that is your foundation of well-being. So if you think about a well-being tracker for yourself, what's my sleep like? What's my nutrition like? What's my exercise like? What's my um, relationships like? And even your relations with your with yourself. How are you talking with yourself? When you when you when you have that in place, then we can work on our mindset. And I like to to use mindset and treat it as a skill because if we treat it as a skill, it means we can get better at it. Mm. And if if we relate it back to performance, as you were mentioning, there's a golden triangle of performance. So at the top, you have your your structures. What are the good structures you have in place? What are the, the healthy boundaries you have, the healthy habits, the good routines? And then the second one is around your, your skill set. So how competent are you in what you're doing and what can you do to improve in that element? And last but not least is the mindset piece. And the mindset is you're treating it as a skill. Um, and you treat it as a skill because you want to get better. And all of them have equal importance. Mm. Because let's, let's say, John, um, I went and had a presentation and I, I prepared really, really well. Um, I was competent about my subject matter, but then I go in and I close the door behind me and then I lose myself. I feel that wave of pressure and I have to manage it and I have to get through it. But it's being able to normalize it and saying, it's actually, it's okay. I'm, I, I use a, a phrase, I'm in the red. How do I go blue? Mm. How does somebody uh, take the first step? And, and if they're to work with somebody like you, who is a coach, uh, people will be familiar with the idea of coaching from sport and so on. How do you work with individuals? So I, I would work, I'd nearly go back to that piece of understanding. So I would, 
coaching I feel is creating the space for that person to do their best thinking um, so it's understanding where they are and where they want to get to if they don't know where where they want to go we can work with um, a, a tool I call the wheel of life and that's looking holistically at the different areas to kind of understand where your life is out of balance um, the, the, the second the second stage on that is understanding different tools and techniques that might work for that individual um, to, to move them forward um, so it, it can it can vary depending on the person and and depending on on the goal that's at mind for that individual Okay, well, look, if you're listening to us this morning and you'd like to hear more, you can check out Michael Dimitriou and the services he provides on his website, thrivetogethercoaching.ie. That's www.thrivetogethercoaching.ie. Michael, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thanks a million, John. And and you can actually also follow Thrive Together on, on Instagram or even also reach out to me on LinkedIn. So appreciate the, the time, John. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. Good morning. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. Casey Lauren D, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock, just coming up to 25 to 10. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. And good to see local business Walsh Whiskey uh, getting into supporting the next generation of people coming through because uh, Walsh Whiskey uh, and founder Bernard Walsh, who's the uh, managing director of Walsh Whiskey presented a bursary check to Vladimir Rebricki during the week, who's a second-year brewing uh, and distilling undergraduate graduate at Institute of Technology, Carlo, and he's the fourth recipient of the annual Walsh Whiskey bursary, and it's given to uh, uh, people who are studying the whole uh, business and the science and the craft and the skill uh, that is distilling and brewing, and a huge part of our economy and lots of great companies involved in that around here and of course it all ends up in licensed premises as well as of course the off trade and supermarkets and so on and speaking of which Rafters Gastro Pub on Friary Street located in the heart of Kilkenny City is well known to many having been in business for the last 26 years my that time flew and they were recently recognised as the small business of the year at the Kilkenny Business Awards now during the week I took a trip down to Rafter's Gastro Pub where I sat down with Jerry Rafter and I began by asking him what been named as Small Business of the Year meant to him. It's a wonderful feeling, John, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to speak about it. Um, yeah, the Kilkenny Chamber Business of our Small Business of the Year. Uh, it's been a long time coming, 26 and a half years here at the moment and uh, looking forward to another 26 Looking back 26 years, uh, you could hardly have imagined the future that lay in store. We've had everything, and the, and the pub business, I would venture, has changed beyond recognition. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it's changing, it's evolving, and uh, I think if I go back to when I came into the trade force in 1990, at the end of 1995, it would have been very much a wet trade, uh, and a certain amount of pubs would have been doing food, and a much lesser extent uh, accommodation. But... Uh, because of the, the way people's lifestyles have changed, uh, the millennium, 
the, the, the financial crisis and then the pandemic, we've all had to reinvent the wheel and we were in a very lucky space the, the years ago when we expanded and built on to what was originally the Willow Inn, um, that we went down the route of a lot of bedrooms and got very, very involved in the food trade. And that has stood us the great test of time. Uh, and I suppose it's, it's, it's probably an equal share now of, of food accommodation and drink in, in what we sell. Yeah, talk to us about the different types. You have, I think, 14 bedrooms now. Uh, the name of the pub is uh, uh, Rafter's Gastro Pub, so food, a big offering, but also still the, the good old-fashioned pub as well. So it's a blend. That's a bit of a, a challenge to juggle the different uh, requirements, I would imagine. It is, but I suppose we don't even think about uh, juggling. We just get on with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, with the food, uh, it has grown and grown. We started off in a very, very small situation, soup sandwiches, and we grew it over the years. And now um, we changed our name due to different circumstances about three years ago. And uh, by changing it from Rafter Dempsey's to the Rafter's Gastro Pub, we wanted a recognition for the amount of food and the quality of food that we were offering. And that the inspiration for the name came from Lucinda O'Sullivan when she awarded us back in 2017 she recommended us in the Sunday Independent as one of the best 20 one of the 20 best gastropubs in Ireland so that was really very proud of that um, you mentioned uh, about uh, you know the changes uh, that have been going on and, and we were talking of course about the recognition of small business of the year why do you think uh, the judges decided to award uh, your pub uh, the small business of the year? I don't honestly know, but if I was to hazard a guess, it was probably because of hard work and endeavour. Um, inspiration, I don't know, is there any inspiration required? You need to be very, very patient when you're dealing with, with uh, the general public. You need to give them the offering that they're looking for, uh, and in doing so, uh, we were, we decided to go down the route of, of food and drink and uh, good staff. I think the big challenge for our trade and, and a lot of retail trade at the moment as well is, is staffing levels. During the pandemic, a lot of people got used to not working, whether it's because of the PUP, whether it's because they were unsatisfied with the, the, the lifestyle they had uh, when they were working. But certainly in our trade, uh, long hours, working every weekend, we found that, uh, and not just us, but our trade in general found that uh, a lot of our staff had found alternative work whether it was working as couriers or drivers or, or delivering takeaways and they found a different lifestyle um, and they didn't want to come back to our trade uh, so what we've done is uh, we have gone down the route of taking in young people who want to work whether they be students or, or college students uh, they want to work they want to learn and it's, it's a breath of fresh air having young people come into the business and who want to learn and who want to do it the right way and we endeavour uh, to give that training uh, and I'm very very happy with the squad of, of, of young people that I have working for me now. During the pandemic a lot of pubs, wet pubs particularly, were just closed. They seem to be closed for the duration for like over 18 months. How did you get through it and uh, you know what, what was the extent of, of your closure or opening or how, how did you get through the pandemic? We were lucky that when what opened first during the pandemic was the accommodation and food sector. Um, and we were in a position, because of we had a beer garden upstairs, a roof terrace, that we were able to feed people um, upstairs. Uh, and we were also, the anomaly was that we could actually feed our residents uh, indoors. 
So that, that was a mix that we could handle. We spent a lot of money um, last year. Um, we opened it in July. Just, just in, We got it ready and had it open just when we reopened again in last July. Uh, a rooftop terrace that totally changed. Is, we're sitting in it here now with the roof half open. We can open it fully or close it fully. Uh, as you just pointed out a minute ago, that's a serious heater you have up there. Um, very, very proud of the job we've done it. Um, brought in a new girl called Renata and who has helped with the design re renovated all the bedrooms uh, renovated the beer garden and uh, a friend of ours down in Dungarvan came up uh, Arthur and, and did all the work on it uh, really really happy with it and if anyone is out there listening you should come in and have a look you will be very pleased with what you see I can highly recommend it. It's a chilly enough morning, but the heater you mentioned is is giving us a nice uh, glow. Um, you were distinguished as well as being the first Kilkenny man to be president of the VFI, the Vintners Federation of Ireland, probably uh, quite a while ago now, but at a, at a crucial time for the for the trade. Yeah, I was honoured to be the first Kilkenny president, and it's a bit like Dublin bus when you when one comes along, two comes along because. Uh, a few years after that, Pat Crotty was was president of Vintners as well. Hugely honoured to take that position up. I spent my two years working very, very hard for it and combining being away during the week and coming back and working in my own business, driving it at the weekend. Um, some people say that it takes up a lot of your time. It does, but you have to be very focused that you still have a business that you need to have there when your, your position of two years finishes. Um, I spent the two years uh, putting a lot of work into going around the country trying to help vintners reconnect, meet as many publicans in every county uh, over the two years, help them reconnect with the, the trade uh, and the federation because we were coming out, uh, or maybe even in the middle of the, when I started, of the economic crisis. And that was a very, very tough time. Everybody remembers the pandemic because it's on our doorstep. But a lot of people forget about we had a very, very serious uh, financial crisis back between 2008 and 2010. That was a hugely challenging time for our trade. Uh, and as president, I felt that the publicans around the country needed as much support as they possibly could. Uh, you have the first quarter century here under your belt. You mentioned you're heading for the second quarter century, which will bring you to 50 years. A lot of talk about the future of pubs. You know, we've had the pandemic, we've had economic economic ups and downs. How are you feeling about the future as we stand at the moment? I, I, I'm always a half-glass full person and I feel, you, you know, unless you're positive about the trade going forward, then it's time to get out. Uh, I'm very positive about it. I'm very happy where we are uh, in the trade at the moment with the mix of food, accommodation and drink. We've just uh, renovated um, and future-proofed the rooftop terrace. We've just finished in January before we reopened again uh, the renovation of the last four of 14 bedrooms. So all our bedrooms are, are really, really impressive now. Um, and downstairs we have plans going forward with the, with the back lounge to totally renovate that this year. Um, so I think the day you stand still is the day you stop. Uh, I'm very positive. Well, that's great to hear. And Jerry Rafter, congratulations again on being the winner of the Small Business of the Year Award for 2021 with Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much, John.
Good to talk to Jerry Rafter during the week in his lovely premises in Ferry Street in Kilkenny. Now uh, we're moving on and one thing that I'm constantly reminded of and people are often talking about it is the huge number of different security threats whether it's on your texts asking you to click links to banks or whether it's emails whether it's phone calls and how hard it is to navigate your way safely through it whether as a business or as an individual and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Paul Delahunty who's Chief Security Officer at Strive and he's a man with great experience in the whole security area when it comes to all these things. Good morning Paul. Morning uh, John, how are you? Very well thanks. Um, Just give us a bit of your whirlwind of your CV. You know you've worked in this area all your life. What kind of um, what kind of threats have you seen? Um, well, it's it's evolving the whole time, I suppose, and it's that's the that's the thing. Even for the likes of me, every day is a school day because the new threats you see emerging the whole time, as well as those the new defences against us and the, and the new ways of interacting. It's um, every day is an education, you know. It's it's always always constantly moving, and I suppose even at the moment, you know, we see it moving with with what's happening in Ukraine. We see over the last even three weeks our, you know, on our own systems, we can see a doubling, trebling of people knocking at the door trying to trying to test our defences. Wow, um, and we'll get back to maybe that in detail, but I suppose it's interesting to look at the global nature of the threat. If you had a shoplifter or even a bank robber, they've got a very limited neighbourhood, so to speak. They have to be physically there, but this stuff works on a global scale, so they can target millions of businesses, tens of millions of businesses. Exactly, exactly. Just as the businesses now can advertise globally, also the downside of that is the attackers can attack you from anywhere in the world at any time during the day. Like you said, it's not like the old uh, burglar who had to physically be there. Mm. It can be from anyone with a a little bit of know-how. And the worrying thing is you don't even need a huge amount of know-how now anyway because you can buy a lot of these services online well on the black market yeah online and tell us um you know if you're in the real world you can get somebody's address um but Mm. if you're based in south america and you're a swindler how do you get an old um phone number email address uh for a business in carlo or kilkenny or an individual well that's i suppose then that's a that's another downside of us all being on, on the world wide web you know, how many times have you filled in your address and your phone number and your email address on some online forum or, or when you're signing up to a service or, or something like that? These things get hacked. And then the the information that gets hacked out of it gets put up in the dark web and people from all over the world, if, they're, if, they, if they want to do that, they can buy these things and then they can use that information then to, uh, you know, to attack various people that, you know, they otherwise would never have heard of or knew existed. Mm, so I suppose not registering for anything or not buying stuff online and not giving out your address is one solution to it, but it's not very feasible <laughs> in the modern world. Can people take no. any precautions? Yeah, I, definitely. Look, and, and the one thing is, I know when we talk about cyber security and that, often, you know, people just turn off a little bit because they, they kind of think, oh, God, I, I'm no good with technology. But you don't need a, a huge amount of technology to really take really good positive steps. And the first thing I would say to anyone is not about perfection on day one. It's just about continuous improvement and continuously making your, your defences that little bit better. So don't worry about, I, I don't have everything perfect. Um the second thing I, I would say is that we have to adopt a little bit of a zero trust mentality. I don't know if you remember that ESB ad that has been on the last couple of years. I, you know, the one where she, the little girl comes in and says, are you sure it's safe? Yeah. 
there has to be that little bit of a, a you know, if you get an, an email in, even if it's from an address you recognise, just look at the language in it a little bit. Yeah. You know, just kind of, oh, does that sound a little bit off? Does that really sound like my friend, my friend John? Or does, you know, it's a little bit off. I'm not 100% sure. When you get a call from somebody who says they're from Revenue, you know, take a step back and, and say, are you sure? Hang yeah. up and call revenue back directly. Same with your bank. There's a number on the back of your bank card you can ring that you know is secure, that you know is safe. And they will understand. They will understand. Not only do they understand, they actively encourage people to do that. Yeah, well look, um, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. It's just uh, ten and a half minutes away from ten o'clock. We're going to take a quick break. Paul Delahunty, who's the Chief Security Officer at Strive, is going to stay with us and we're going to discuss some practical steps you can take to protect yourself from the myriad number of frauds that are out there. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie All over Carlo and Kilkenny. We are KCLR. We are indeed KCLR and it's uh, seven and a half minutes away from ten o'clock. All over Carlo Kilkenny uh, is KCLR, but also threats to your individual uh, online and uh, business security, whether you're an individual or a business. We were talking uh, before the break to Paul Delahunty, who's Chief Security Officer of Strive, locally based company operating all over the world uh, on the private cloud, but also advising people on uh, on security. Paul, we were saying before the break that don't be afraid to just slam the door or hang up or not respond to stuff that you might see as dodgy. What other tips can you give to individuals in particular? Okay, to individuals, and I'll, I'll kind of go with the non-technical stuff just so just to show it's very, very easy. So, one of the first things I say to anyone, especially on your mobile phone, when you're out and about, turn off everything you don't need. There's no need to go around the place with uh, your Wi-Fi switched on, with your NFC, with your location, with Bluetooth. If you don't need them, turn them off. Right, because those are kind of uh, weaknesses that can be exploited. They are. Like, I mean, if you're walking around, you know, the, the, the shopping centre with the Wi-Fi switched on, you know, the hackers can set up rogue Wi-Fi and automatically connect you to it and wow. make the door into your phone. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a real easy one. Nobody needs to know anything technology. Don't ever use public Wi-Fi. Right. We hammer this home the whole time. It's just not trustworthy that everyone has access to it. Use the, the mobile data is so cheap now. Just use it. Wow. Don't use the public Wi-Fi. Um, one of the really, really big things is passphrases. And I'm saying passphrases instead of passwords because a password is breakable based on its length. You know, the shorter it is, the much more breakable it is. Right. So use a passphrase. So we're humans. We're not great at remembering big, long strings of things. But we might remember maybe, you know, a poem or a song. Or, right. you know, the, the first line out of the second chapter of your favourite book, you know, and you can really remember those, but they're very, very, no one's, it goes past about 25, 26 characters, it's very difficult to break. Right. So those are practical things. If I'd say one thing above all to protect is your email, your own personal email, you know, and have, you know, if you can have a second factor of authentication, I can authenticate your app on your phone, I can talk about that if we've, if we've time, I don't know, it's a little bit more technical, mm. but if you can protect that with a big, strong passphrase and have it different to any other password or passphrase you have, because if you think about it, when you log into anything, if you, you know, you forget your password, what do you do? You click on forget your password and it sends, sends a, a reset password to your email. Mm. So if somebody gets into your email, they can get into almost any other account you have. 
Yeah, we're so rapidly running. Email. Yeah, we're rapidly running out of time, Paul. But what would your top uh, tips for business be in sixty seconds? In sixty seconds, okay, <laughs> you're challenging me now, right? So, fishing, protect yourself against fishing. It has been since almost the start of the internet the number one attack vector for uh, for hackers. And there's a reason for it. Uh, protect yourself. So scanning uh, emails that come in, educate your workforce, and make it a priority in the business. Mm. Two is know your assets. You can't protect you know what you don't know you have. Um, second thing is secure your devices. So your your tablets, your your laptops, your mobile phones. Make secure them by encryption. By you know m- making sure that the data on them can't be taken. Uh, back up, back up, back up. Whatever you have data that you need, back it up. The fifth thing, and I've only got six, the fifth thing is the plan. Mm. So treat it as this is going to happen. When it does, what's my plan? And is everyone aware of the plan? And the last thing is train, train, train. And if you've done that, train a little bit more because your employees can be your weakest link, but they can also be your strongest defence. And they're the ones in the front line. So train them, train them, train them the whole time. And finally, I suppose, if I was to take something from it, it's to just keep at it. It's not enough saying, well, I changed my password six months ago and I did something. The threat is ever-evolving, so it's just something it needs to be on your weekly, if not daily, to-do list. Yeah, you don't need to get obsessed about it, but you just need to be practical. You know, just think that, you know, is it safe? Are you sure? That zero trust mentality. Mm. Um, It sounds like a horrible way to live, but it's actually fine. It just gives you that little bit of comfort that, look, I'm doing everything I can. Online, of course. Let's keep nice to each other in the real world. obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, thanks very much. Great talking to you this morning. Uh, That's Paul Delahunty, Chief Security Officer at Strive. We'll talk to you again, I have a feeling, Paul. Oh, great stuff, John. Have a great weekend. Will do. That's uh, Paul Delahunty, as I said, and that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, any comments to The Bottom Line at kclr96fm.com. You can listen back to the show on any podcast channel. Just search for The Bottom Line on KCLR. Thanks to all our guests this week, Laura Slattery, Michael Dimitrio, Jerry Rafter and Paul Delahunty. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy, who produces the show. And thanks most of all to you for listening. We'll be back next Saturday, just after nine o'clock, with more stories for and about business. In the meantime, stay tuned to KCLR where we've got lots to keep you informed, engaged and entertained. And talking about that, we've got a huge weekend of sport. We've got two matches today, Carlo versus Wexford and Cork versus Kilkenny. Tomorrow, it's Camogie and Provincial Towns Cup. Do stay tuned to KCLR. Until we speak again, keep yourself safe, keep on keeping on and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie